review of some things. We've said that every trial ends with a winner and a loser. And far too many of God's people are losing their case when their faith is tried because they're not ready for trial. And I'll speak for myself personally. Uh, This isn't judgment. Um, I'm telling you I'm not proud of it, but I have lost um, some faith cases over the years because I wasn't ready for trial. I didn't even understand um, you know, what it, was, what it was and what it was about, okay? But um, the Lord's teaching me. He's teaching us. And um, my desire from all of this is that we come to a point to where we don't ever lose a faith case again. Because this is what the Bible promises us, right? When it says that we'll always triumph, that we're more than conquerors. Um, and so every trial ends with a winner and a loser. And I don't know about you, but I don't like to lose. Amen. I like um, to win. So we said the trying or trial of your faith occurs when symptoms, circumstances, and sense realm evidence challenges, contradicts, and defies your faith. Being ready for trial means you are prepared to answer the challenges and endure the contradictions and defiance without moving from your faith position. Now, if, if you've tried this, and I know every person in this room that's listening to me right now has, and I'm sure a lot of the people who are watching online right now have, um, this can be easier said than done. Uh, In in other words, it it sounds good, and and it is good, and it's right, Um, but there there is, um, you know, like, I always go back to this example. Um, Snowboarding is much harder than the folks on TV make it look. You follow what I'm saying? They jump on that thing and they go down that mountain. You go, man, that looks so cool. You know, I always kind of tease the kids. You know, I say, man, I think I would be really good at that. You know, um, but they they make it look easy. And so, you know, I'm not trying to say that this is impossible and all these other things, but you know, there is some skill that has to be developed here, and some truth that needs to be understood and applied here. Um, but being ready for trial means we're prepared to answer the challenges. And here is the good news, and and I I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but here's the good news. The devil doesn't have any new tricks. In in other words, we should not be ignorant of his devices, the strategies, the the maneuvering uh, that that he uh, uses against us. It started in the Garden of Eden. He tried the same things on Jesus that he tried on Adam and Eve that he tries on you and me. And so this means we can learn how he works and, and before we ever take a stand of faith, anticipate what he's going to do. Anticipate how he's going to try to plant doubt in the jury that is our heart. And, and so, again, coming into it with that kind of understanding, I believe, puts us in a much more advantageous position uh, to win when our faith is tried. We said that understanding the trial of your faith involves a few things. We said that um, that your faith is on trial. Amen. I think we may have lost connection there. I don't know. Your faith is on trial. Father God's the judge. The judge has already ruled in your favor. Your heart is the jury, and Satan is the prosecutor or the accuser. Now, your heart is, for some reason I'm lagging behind her. Did you do that? Let me see if I, I think I've got it again, Christy. Let's see. Yeah, amen. We've I, I, just been a temporary glitch there. Thank you, sister. All right, so your heart is the jury and can overrule the judge in your case. All this is review. All right, all this is review. 
Your heart is the jury and can overrule the judge in your case. But your heart is the jury and your heart can be persuaded. Okay, now let's go to our text for tonight. James chapter 1 and verse number 6. James chapter 1 and verse number 6. I was blessed uh, this morning. I had a, a Zoom meeting with a lot of the program staff uh, at, the, uh, at the foundry. And one of the things that I've been blessed and honored to do for many, many years at the foundry is, is, I, um, is, I, is I meet with folks on Tuesdays for a couple of hours and do some teaching and training and prayer and that, and that sort of thing. Well, we haven't really started back, that back up since March, and so um, we're still doing some of those meetings with Zoom. And um, our uh, program officer, chief program officer, he texted me before the meeting. He said, could you give us about five or ten minutes of just something from the Word? And I said, man, I'd be honored to. And um, he said, I've just been missing our Tuesdays. So uh, I unloaded about 11 minutes worth of ready for trial uh, on them. And um, anyway, I pray that it was a blessing to them. So James chapter 1, verse 6, it says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So to doubt means to be in strife with oneself. So I think, I don't want to like talk and talk and talk about doubt. Um, because, you know, doubt is what we need to avoid. But I think if we have a better understanding of what doubt is, what doubt looks like, how, um, you know, doubt, uh, you know, tries to work its way into our heart, um, it'll give us, uh, again, a more advantageous position to recognize it and to keep it out. I think sometimes we don't even recognize doubt for what it is, when it comes to our door, and we wind up letting it in. And so if we understand that you know, doubt uh, comes from certain sources and there are certain tactics and strategies that the enemy uses to try to create or produce doubt in your heart, the, the more we understand that, the more we're aware of that, the better position we're in to defend ourselves against it and this is just another way of what we mean when we say uh, to be ready for trial. So <clears throat> some of the things that, for me personally, over the course of this study, <clears throat> that, that have been some of the biggest revelations for me is, is, number one, that God's the judge and he's already ruled in my favor. Um, and then number two is that my heart's the jury. And my heart's the jury. And, th- and that just like in a, in, a, in, a, in a regular court case, the jury overrules the judge. The, the, what the jury decides goes even if the judge has um, a, a different opinion. And so imagine for a moment that, you know, when you know, you're standing in faith, you know, a member of your family to, to be saved, uh, healing in your body, some financial breakthrough, maybe you need a job, maybe you believe in God for a car, maybe you believe in God to get your driver's license back, something that, that you need supernatural divine favor in your life. You need a mountain moved, um, you need some, some kind of uh, uh, you know, divine uh, breakthrough uh, in your life. I want you to picture um, a jury room with 12 people sitting around a table 
And, and so doubt in the heart would be equal to strife in that room. So this, this would mean that some of the jurors think that the lady's uh, innocent. Some of the jurors think that she's uh, guilty. And, and maybe two of the jurors aren't sure. They still don't, don't know what to think about it. Okay? Now, obviously, what, what we want to get to in the jury room of our heart is a unanimous verdict, right? In other words, we want every, every member of the jury of our heart. And, and, I, and I use that, a jury, uh, you know, of folks in a room um, because I think if we're all honest, like that man who said to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. In other words, part of our heart does believe. Part of our heart is all in. Part of our heart is, is, is convinced. But then there's these other thoughts. And, and those thoughts that aren't sure or that are convinced it's not so, those thoughts represent the doubt. And, and so the, the, the prosecutor, when it comes to your faith case, um, he's simply trying to get, it don't have to be, 12 jurors, right? You realize that 11 jurors in the United States judicial system, 11 jurors can, can say that um, uh, he's uh, guilty, but if one says absolutely not, he's innocent, it's going to be a hung jury. So it's, it's, it's that small amount of doubt. And I think sometimes that that's the part that we don't think is that big of a deal, because there is part of us that believes. There is something inside of us that says, yes, this is right. There is something inside of us that agrees with 1 Peter 2.24, 1 by his stripes I was healed. But it's that little small nagging part, right, that, that contaminates the whole thing. And so James chapter 1, it, it is one of the most sobering verses on the subject of faith that we have in all the Word of God. And, it, and, it, and notice what it says, he who doubts, let him ask in faith with just a little bit of doubting. Is that what it says? Let him ask in faith with no doubting. Okay? So um, 11 out of 12 is not enough. If 1 out of 12 is doubt, then it's doubt. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. So if there's doubt in the heart, there's not going to be um, a a receiving of what it is that we're believing God for. So, your adversary knows the judge has already ruled in your favor, but he also knows he can win his case and you will not receive what you've believed for if he can create doubt in the jury. So this, I, I know I keep saying this in different ways over and over again, but this is, this is the only tactic the devil has. This is the, this is, in other words, this isn't his only strategy because it's his best strategy. I mean, in other words, this isn't what he does because it's his best of many strategies. This is the only one. This is the only shot he's got. This is the only hope he has. Faith is the victor that overcomes this world and everything that's in it. Faith is how we freely receive what grace has already given. So the devil knows that if he doesn't do something to sway, persuade the jury room of your heart, there's nothing else he can do to stop you. 
Okay? So, so th- this means that, that all of his tactics, all of his strategies, when it comes to preventing you and me from receiving from God what God has already freely given to us, revolve around one, one uh, agenda, one thing, and that is to, to get you to doubt in your heart what it is that you've believed God for. A few things the Lord spoke to me this afternoon. Number one, it's impossible for the devil to change the judge's mind. His ruling in our favor is eternally sealed by the blood of his son. And whether we know this or not, I dare say there's a lot of born-again believers who do not know this. They think that God hasn't made up his mind yet. To, to save their family. They think God hasn't made up his mind yet to bless them and, and prosper them financially. They think that, that, that he's the jury and the jury's still out. When the reality of it is, Father's mind is made up. He's already spoken. He cannot lie. When he speaks, will he not perform what he says? And it's sad to me, but the prosecutor in your faith case is the devil. And the devil has more confidence in the judge's ruling than a lot of people he brings into the uh, courtroom of faith and puts their faith on trial. It's impossible for the devil to change the judge's mind. He doesn't even try. His ruling in our favor is eternally sealed by the blood of Jesus. Number two, he told me this. He said the judge's ruling in your favor is eternal, irrevocable, and irreversible. It's eternal. It's an eternal covenant. Our our covenant with God is eternal. So one more time, the devil's strategies against you revolve around persuading your heart to doubt. Why is this? Well, according to our scripture tonight, doubt creates instability. And if we're not ready for trial and prepared to answer the contradictions he brings against our faith, we will waver and ultimately abandon our faith position. Now turn with me to Acts chapter 10. Acts, the 10th chapter. Let's turn over there for a minute. Um, if, uh, if you're familiar uh, with this uh, part, this, this portion of the book of Acts, it's when Father God sent Peter to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And it begins with a centurion named Cornelius. And, and the Lord speaks to Cornelius and tells him to send people uh, to Peter's house and to compel Peter to come back with them to his house. This doesn't sound like that big of a deal to you and me, but if you understand the separation between Jews and non-Jewish people in these days, this was unheard of. And up until this point, the gospel was being preached to Jewish people, but not so much at all to non-Jewish people, to, to Gentiles. And so Cornelius you know, has this in, encounter with God he sends the people uh, to, matter of fact, he tells him where Peter is, and he sends people to, to get him. Peter um, is on the rooftop, and he has a vision. All right, so obviously the Holy Spirit is moving in this whole situation. And, and he tells Peter that there's going to be people downstairs, you know, wanting him to go with them and to go. And so this is what we find in Acts chapter 10, verse 19. So while Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Doubting nothing, for I have sent them. 
Now, I was reading this a few weeks ago, and that doubting nothing, it jumped out at me. This is, um, at least when it all was unfolding, this was all, uh, you know, supernatural orchestration. I'm sure that if you look back on your life, there have been encounters that have been supernaturally orchestrated um, for you by God, um, things that he's directed, uh, other people that he's brought into your life, into your path, into your family. Um, and so this is one of those, but it's, it's not just you know, for Peter's benefit or for Cornelius and his house's benefit. It's for the entire race of non-Jewish people's benefit. In other words, this is a new thing that, that Father God is doing. So remember, we have an enemy, right, who always wants to try and stop what it is that Father God is doing. He's always trying to, to intercept, intervene, sidetrack, distract, delay, discourage, all these different things that the enemy tries against us. Now, I know that on one hand you may say, well, if Father God wants this done, it's going to be done. Well, apparently not. Because notice now, he's got a man like Cornelius who is devout, he's committed, he's a godly man, he's fasting and praying. He's not even a Jew, but he's practicing Judaism because he, he sees something in these people and their, and their faith that he wants to have an experience in his own life. And so he is a very unique man. Are you understanding this? And so notice now, Father is able to use this man. He's able to speak to this man. He's able to, to instruct this man. And this man didn't think he ate too much pizza or was imagining things, but he really believed that what God spoke to him was true to the point that he acted on it and sent the three men to go get to Peter. Now, on the other end of this, Father God speaks to Peter, gives him a vision about eating barbecue ribs and, and things that he's never eaten before that he always believed was unclean. And now he's like, never, God, I'll never eat that. And Father says, how dare you call something unclean that I've called clean? But the vision was to help him see that Father God's heart was for Jew and non-Jew alike and that the Jewish people considered the Gentile people unclean and, and even, you know, unreachable, no soul to save, when Father God said, that's wrong. And just like you're wrong about what I'm telling you you can eat, you're wrong about your opinion of non-Jewish people. But notice now, he still needed Peter to respond. Peter could have told them, folks, get lost. Peter could have told them, I paid at the office. Peter could have told them, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on the rooftop with God having an experience with the Holy Spirit. How dare you interrupt me? So we see that Cornelius acted in faith. Now, I don't know Cornelius or what was going through Cornelius's mind, but I know Mark Edward, and I know what goes through my mind when the Lord instructs me to do something, right? Well, I don't know. Man, I, what will they think? You know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a Roman centurion, and I'm not a Jew, and I've heard that he don't take kindly to, to Gentiles and I'm going to send these folks all the way down there and he might have them arrested. He, you know, in other words, all these thoughts, you can't tell me that they didn't come into his mind. You can't tell me that he didn't have opportunity to second guess or doubt even though it was a vision and a powerful encounter, right? Anybody besides me in this room ever doubted your salvation? <laughs> Amen. Well, that was a pretty powerful encounter, wasn't it? How about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? 
oh, that was just emotion, that wasn't. Again, we can have these encounters with God and, and you know, life-changing you know, moments of glory and three days later wondering if it was even real. So in the heat of the moment, you'll never convince me that the enemy wasn't trying to stop this meeting from happening. He wasn't trying to prevent it. Well, how, how is he going to stop it? Let the air out of their tires on the chariot? No, he's got to get them to question it. He's got to get the jury of their heart to second guess it and, 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 and think that, well, maybe, we, maybe this isn't how it's supposed to be. Maybe I'll wait and see. If, you know, I run into Peter somewhere down the road and I'll just mention maybe, you know, if this sounded, I, you know, I, I don't know how many visions or how many experiences like this that, that Cornelius had ever had before. This had to be new to him. This had to be something strange to him. And then you factor in all the false gods and, and demonic worship and, and heathen practices that went on in the Roman Empire. You can't tell me that he didn't have thoughts that that couldn't have been God. That must have been, you know, some devil trying to trick me. In other words, again, you say, Pastor Mark, how do you know he was thinking that? Because I know what the devil's tried to make me think about things before. So you've got the same thing on Peter's end. So the point I'm trying to make is that, that this all came together and the timing of it was so perfect and so beautiful, but it still required two different men to act in faith and obedience to what God told them to do. And so, let me say it another way. Why do you think the Holy Spirit added the phrase to Peter, doubting nothing? Why do you think he added that to the instructions? Okay? I think it's simple. I think, I think it's because the Lord knew the enemy would try to challenge Peter's faith just like he tries to challenge everybody else's faith and get him into doubt and ultimately hinder the plans that God had in motion. Now, if that seems, again, too far of a stretch to you, how many times has my doubt hindered plans that God set in motion? How many times have you hesitated, doubted, questioned, and hindered plans that Father God set in motion? Sometimes plans that took years to develop, uh, plans that took months to ripen someone's heart, and, and then He speaks to you to, to, to bake them a pound cake and, and, and go knock on the door and tell them Jesus loves them. And you're like... They'll close the door in my face. I don't even know if they like pound cake, right? You know, we, we start talking ourselves out of these things. L- listen to this, and, and I feel like this is a way for us to better connect with doubting nothing. Doubting nothing in this passion, in this passage, rather, means don't hesitate, don't question, don't second guess, don't make excuses, don't stop to consider. Don't research it. Don't get a second opinion. Don't ask what other people think. Don't allow yourself to be talked out of it. And do not allow yourself to be convinced to do something else. That's what he's telling him, right? Again, why is this included in the instructions? It's because this is how the devil works. This is how the devil, you know, tries to... Can you, like, so let's go to Peter's side of this thing. Peter was raised in Judaism. Peter knew the law. Peter knew that you don't eat crawfish and, 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 and uh, uh, possum innards or whatever. I mean, he, you know, there's all kinds of things that he knew that you just don't eat. And that's what the Bible says. The Bible says don't eat it. So can you imagine how Peter's had this vision and, and 
how, how, how easily he could have seen that, interpreted that as temptation, right? It's like, you know, I, I walk past them Romans every day chowing down on that stuff, and they sure do make, you know, that pork sandwich look good, you know what I'm saying? I mean, so again, see how the enemy could have said, that, that wasn't God. You're just being tempted to eat stuff you know you're not supposed to eat. It was very easily. So he says, arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. One more time, he's saying, Peter, don't hesitate. Don't hesitate. How many times have I hesitated? How many times have you hesitated? How many times have we questioned? How many times have we second-guessed? How many times have we made excuses? How many times have we stopped to consider? How many times have we researched it, got second opinions, asked what other people think, not allowed ourselves, and, and then ultimately allowed ourselves to be talked out of doing something that now looking back we realize that was a moment that Father God had put together that he needed me to follow through on and step, step out on in faith. I want you to think about this, and I, somewhere in, in, in the back of my heart and mind, I'm going to figure out a way to do it. I don't know what it would take, okay? But um, I would like to have a coin printed, minted, amen? I don't, I don't know what, what you do if you make a coin. I've made a lot of things in my life. I've never made a coin. But I would like to make a coin, and it would be a faith coin. And I believe if faith were a coin, one side would be only believe, and the other side would be doubting nothing, right? Only believe, turn the coin over, doubting nothing. Only believe, doubting nothing. Only believe, doubting nothing. Now, let me, if I could, just push a little further into into this um, section tonight. I believe the Lord spoke this to me. Um, My assignment is to present this to you. And then, you know, your assignment is to to judge. In other words, if I tell you the Lord said something to me, then um, it's it's your responsibility to make sure that this lines up, bears witness to your spirit and the word of God. But it was kind of one of those things, and and I I, want to say that I I know his voice. I do know his voice better today than than in times past. and, And and, and just becoming more and more familiar uh, when he speaks to me. And, and I don't know about you, but, you know, like, he doesn't speak in the king's English. It's not an audible voice. But one of the ways I know his voice is it's like he's, it's something that comes up in my spirit that I've never considered, never thought of. I mean, it, it clearly was not my thought, you know, uh, way more brilliant than, than my ability to think. And, um, and it's like he, it's, and then there's the after effect of it. And I, listen, you all, he's spoken to you before. By the after effect, I mean he speaks something to you. It could be very simple, but then as you begin to think about it and, and ponder on it, it's, it's like a, a scuba diver dropping off backwards, you know, into a coral reef. It's one point of entry opens up a whole world of things beneath the surface. And so this was kind of one of those things. The Lord spoke this to my heart. He said, doubt does not come without assistance. Doubt does not come without assistance. Now, follow me on this because 
if you've flipped off the boat with me, we're under the water now, okay? And, and if this is true, and I believe it is, then there are some important things that we need to recognize. Let me, one of the, one of the second or third things that came to mind, or when I say came to mind, not outward in, but inward out, was something I heard Jesse Duplantis say some time back. And he was talking about when he was early in his walk with the Lord, that the Lord um, asked him, I think it was to give some money away. It had something to do with giving, um, I don't know if it was money, or if you understand Jesse Duplantis is giving houses away, cars away, I mean, he's paid off churches, I mean, he, anyway, he's just a giving machine. Um, but it was something like that, and this was early in his walk, and he'd already learned giving and was a giver, but I think this kind of stretched him a little bit. And so when the Lord um, asked him to do that, he said that he immediately began to think things like, um, how will I pay my bills if I do that? Um, if, if I do that, uh, my family may go hungry. If I this, you know, and so he started having all of these thoughts. And he talks about this. If you've, ever, if you've ever heard him talk on this subject, he talks about how this was such a major turning point in his early walk with the Lord and continues to this day. He said, in the midst of that internal struggle, what is doubt? Doubt is strife within oneself, right? That's by definition, diacrino, strife within oneself. He recognized that there was this struggle going on inside of him, and he said it came to him that quick, and he said out loud, wait a minute, those are not my thoughts, they're coming from somewhere else, right? Because I don't know about you, let me take that back. I do know about you. I do know that you love to give. I know that I love to give. Why do we love to give? It's because giving is a part of our born-again nature. We've become a a partaker of the divine nature of God, and God's nature is to give. He is a generous, lavish giver. And so there's something in us that, that wants to give. There's something in us that wants to give more than we're giving right now. Amen or on me about that. So again, this is, this is what I'm saying. And so Jesse had already learned that part about him. But now, after the Lord asking him to give many things, now he was in a situation that was a little more than anything he'd ever done. It stretched him a little bit. And so he's having the, the internal uh, strife. And he immediately realized that the thoughts trying to talk him out of it were not his that they were coming from somewhere else. And so, again, like you, when the Lord, when I feel like or believe the Lord said something to me, I, I want to check it out with Scripture. I want to check it out with, with what other people maybe teach and believe and have said. And so as I started looking through the Scripture, but then the first thing I believe the Holy Spirit brought back to my remembrance was that sermon I heard him preach a long time ago where he mentioned this very thing. Okay? So, again, doubt does not come without assistance. Your born-again spirit believes every word God has ever spoken to you, over you, and about you. Your born-again spirit has no trouble 
with doing the works that Jesus did and even greater works. Your born-again spirit doesn't even hesitate at the thought of raising the dead. Your born-again spirit has no problem whatsoever believing that you are righteous, that you are godly, that you are free, that you are rich, that you are healed, that you are sound, that you are fruitful, that you are wise. All of that, your your born-again spirit's like, bring it on, bring it on, bring it on. Okay? So when we talk about doubt, we take it for granted that doubt is just part of the human experience and that it's just part of the human condition. But for the born-again child of God, there is an outside influence. Let me say it another way. For the born-again child of God, Our go-to is faith. Our go-to is yes and amen. Our go-to is my heavenly Father um, has done this for me, given these things to me, especially people like you here at Heritage that know these things and have heard these things and believe these things, right? But but I'm, I'm, I'm telling you this because I think for a lot of folks, they think it's easier to doubt than to believe when it's really just the opposite. The only reason believing is hard for us is because there's outside influence. There's a very real devil who has prosecuted faith cases for millennia who's gotten very, very good at persuading juries. Amen. And because we haven't been ready to defend ourselves against him for so many years, for so long, you know, we hear Jesus say something like, if you believe and do not doubt in your heart, you'll say to the mountain, the mountain will be removed. And we're like, well, wah, wah, wah. Who cannot doubt in their heart? Because we, we think it's just a natural thing. But no, no, my friend, doubt doesn't come without assistance. And so if we can identify who's behind the doubt and how to deal with him, how to keep him out, Abraham learned it. Abraham learned how to keep the prosecutor out of his jury room. And once his heart became fully persuaded, it didn't matter how old he was, it didn't matter how many years it had been, it didn't matter how long he had waited, it didn't, none of that mattered anymore. Right? When he became fully persuaded, there was nothing that old slow-foot devil could do to persuade him otherwise. But notice, he didn't get there by looking at himself in the mirror. He didn't get there by trying to stretch out his elbow to see if it worked. No. No, it's not how he got there. He got there by not considering all the circumstantial evidence that that the prosecutor kept bringing against his case, but instead he gave glory to God and he considered that God was able to perform what it is that he promised to perform. I'll say one last thing. I'm closing my Bible. Thank you for your patience tonight. If you, if you go all the way back to when Father God says to Abraham and Sarah that you're going to have a child in your old age, and they laughed, does anybody remember what the Lord said to them after that? We talked about it a lot in here. Anybody remember what he said? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Right? Is anything too hard for the Lord? There have been times over the years when I've said that, either preaching on that subject or maybe just some issue that we're praying over, and, and it's like it just comes up in me. 
and, and I'll make that declaration from the Word of God. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? And it's, and it's like somebody dropped a light bomb in the room, right? Do you understand? It, 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 am I the only person that, that, you know, you can be facing difficulty, and then you kind of shake yourself, and you say, wait a minute, is anything too hard for the Lord? And it's like, it's like your spirit catches a breath. Am I following? Are you following what I'm saying on this, right? I believe, get to heaven, ask Abraham, if I'm wrong, I'll apologize to you and him, but I don't think I am. I believe that's what Abraham fought the devil with. I believe every time the devil came to him with, this ain't ever going to happen, you're making a fool of yourself. You've changed your name now? Oh, that's brilliant. Every thought, every fiery dart the enemy brought against him, I believe Abraham had one consistent response. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything. Every time his jury had an opportunity to be persuaded to doubt, he nipped it in the bud by declaring out of his mouth, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? My brother, my sister, every time the devil tells you it ain't going to happen, they're not going to change, it's not going to work, you're going to be in debt for the rest of your life, you're going to have to work till you're 90. Every, Every time he lies to you and tells you those things, I want you, if you can't say anything else, you say back to him, is anything too hard for the Lord? See, that right there gets you ready for trial pretty quick. Now, we're going to learn more about it than that. But, see, most people like, well, yeah, I mean, I guess it ain't working. I've been, I've been believing God for about 10 minutes now. And, and uh, you know, I checked my bank account online, and it's not changed. And, you know, it's the next thing you know, and we just, when that devil comes at you with circumstantial evidence and, 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 and facts and statistics and all that, you go back with him is anything too hard for the Lord? And I believe that Abraham confessed that to the point that it became so real and so alive in him that he had literally an internal vision of his son being raised from the dead. Amen? Amen. Stand with me tonight. Praise God. Well, Father, we thank you this Wednesday evening together. We thank you for your word. It's living, it's powerful, and it's sharp, Father. And I thank you that we're learning how to use your word as a sword when it comes to fighting the good fight of faith. And Father, I know that there are folks in this room and there are folks listening to me right now online, but Lord, not just listening to me, hopefully listening to you, more importantly, listening to you online, Father, that, that have situations and issues in their life that they have longed to experience a breakthrough in, that they've longed to see the mountain move. They've longed to see the change come. They've longed to see the debt uh, eliminated and paid off and, and, and so many other factors and situations in their lives. But yet, Lord, it, it seems impossible. And for that matter, um, it is impossible apart from faith. But Father, I thank you that you're teaching us how to get our case ready and how to take that stand and make that confession and release our faith, anticipating the enemy trying to assist us in accepting doubt. But Father, doubt doesn't come without assistance, and we're recognizing who it comes from and what channels it comes through, and we're shutting them down. 
We're shutting them down every time. And I thank you, Father, that as we close out 2020, we're going to hear more testimonies of faith breakthroughs in people's lives and families and businesses, uh, health and well-being, Lord, on an exponential scale of, of what we have heard and experienced and received here in the past at Heritage as a family of faith. And so, Father, we declare that. We believe that. We believe faith is the victory that overcomes the world. And so, Father, the more we grow in faith, the more we understand how to operate in faith, the more we understand what faith is and what it'll do, Father, the more breakthroughs we're going to see and experience, more cause, Father, to give you a praise and thanksgiving. And so, Lord, we release that and agree together on that now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. As always, thank you for being here tonight. Good things coming. Thank you for joining us online. Thank you for all them folks back there in the media booth that worked so hard to pull all this off. And you have a great rest of your week. We'll see you Sunday morning, if not before.